I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can't write code. You're not an engineer. You're not a designer. You can't put a hammer to a nail. I built the circuit board. The graphical interface was stolen from Xerox Park. Jeff Raskin was the leader of the Mac team before you threw him off his own project. Everything, someone else designed the box. So how come 10 times in a day, I read Steve Jobs as a genius? What do you do? I play the orchestra. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Since 2013, the staff at Overdue Review have written opinions on hundreds of movies, TV shows, and albums, but less than a dozen have made the Five Star Club. To see which titles have been given perfect grades, click to the Five Star Club page at OverdueReview.com. Overdue Review, better late. Hello once again, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast, the 15th edition, in fact, of this program, where we take a look through the media wasteland out there and pick through the garbage, pick through the trash, sift through the ashes, and figure out what's worth your time streaming right now or uh, also in theaters sometimes, which later on in this show I will be talking about a few movies that have just hit theaters, but rest assured they'll be streaming before you know it, friends. Uh, Welcome into the show. I'm Clint Davis, the uh, host of the program. Co-host, I guess I should say, with my uh, partner, Andy Sedlak, who is our music editor over at OverdueReview.com. I am the movies and TV guy, and that is exactly what I'll be talking about. But actually, this week, I'm going to step on Andy's toes a little bit, and I hope he's fine with it. Uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about music myself, in fact, a lot about it. But later on in the show, I will be getting to movies. So if you're not a big music guy or gal, then uh, stick with me because I've got some stories to tell, and then... Later on in the show, after Andy speaks a little bit, I'm going to talk about some movies that are in theaters right now, as I said. Also going to be talking about a movie that just hit uh, uh, DVD and streaming not that long ago, The Gift, and a classic Disney film that I recently was able to see in theaters uh, for my first time actually ever seeing it in theaters, even though I'd seen the movie several times. So welcome into the show. Thank you very much. Let's get things started, as we always do. I'm in my closet. I cannot stretch both elbows out because it's so small in here, but I do it for you because the sound quality is impeccable, if I may say so, but I do have to light up in here despite the fact that it is a fire code violation of the highest order. My stogie of the week, no stogie actually, I'm going small this week. Uh, They usually say go big or go home, well I guess I'm already home, so I'm going to go small. And I'm going to smoke a Jarum Black, one of my favorite brands, a clove cigar, 
in fact, shaped like a cigarette, but it's a clove. You know these. Anytime you walk by a hipster who's smoking one, you know exactly that they're smoking a jar in black because it smells kind of like black licorice, and it just smells – it has this – this uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's just this very exotic and very inviting smell. So let me light this bad boy up. I'm telling you, one of the easiest smokes you'll ever have in your life. But don't inhale these, folks. Don't inhale them. All right, take it from a pro. Jar and Blacks. Find them at your local tobacco retailer. All right, let's go ahead and get down to the meat and potatoes this week. I spent the, uh, I mentioned on last, uh, our last episode that I was going to be taking a trip, thanks to my day job, um, out to Nashville to cover the Country Music Association Awards, the 2015 edition. It's uh, the biggest night in country music. That's the trademarked slogan that they have. So I, I think I'm going to have to pay $5 to actually be able to say that here on this show. Hopefully they'll have pity, though. But I went to Nashville, the heart, uh, the heart really, of uh, of country music and, and one of the great cities in America as far as entertainment and music. I mean, just every night, nonstop, just, just people out at, at, at myriad bars and tons of acts that you've never heard of, but maybe one day you'll be seeing on stage at the CMAs. It's just an exciting place to be if you love music. Um, I couldn't recommend it more. And even if maybe you're not a big country music person, um, it's just, it's still really cool. There's still like a lot of rock acts and things like that out there. But certainly if you're a country music fan, then I don't need to tell you that it's it's the Mecca basically. And you got to take a trip out there at some point in your life. So I spent the last week in Nashville though working. And it was a it was a long week of work. Um, I did some things. Uh, I, I hooked up with a couple of people in the company that I work for that work in our uh, one of our radio stations out in Kansas, and that's obviously a huge country music area. And the uh, woman I was with, who's been a DJ out there in Kansas for over twenty years, she is uh, really just a, a consummate pro. And you could tell these artists love her, and it really like reignited my love for radio and really what that medium is all about, which is getting artist names out there and she's been one of these people that has been with these artists since the beginning played their demos let them come into the studio and talk even when no one knew who they were and you could just see it on these artists faces that they never forgot who gave them their start and that's the thing that i really have always loved about country music country music and hip-hop to me share two uh share two very unique things about about the genres First off, both of them can either be the best music you've ever heard, the most revolutionary, the most eye-opening music you've ever heard and best storytelling, or they can be the absolute worst drivel that you've ever heard piped through your headphones. It depends on the artist, depends on the production, depends on the song, but country music and hip-hop, they can either be the absolute best genres in music or the absolute worst. And I don't think you can really say that about rock or pop because, you know, maybe they're more consistent just kind of down the middle, but these two types of music, very polarizing. Uh, depending on the artist you're listening to. And the other thing that these two types of music share is pretty much, you know, hip-hop especially, if you're going to be in that in that genre, you have to be able to write. And in country music, most of these people are songwriters. The singer-songwriter uh, subgenre of music that became big in the 70s really still lives on in country music especially. These people, most of them are songwriters, have been songwriters, and have sold out songs to other artists that maybe were not right for them. I mean, that's not something that you see a lot coming from bands, uh, rock bands, and it's not something that you see a lot coming from pop acts. Uh, but it's huge, and it's alive and well in country music. So songwriting is paramount. And, and so what I did this week was 
Uh, we got to interview, I, I got to sit in on interviews with about 60 artists, one-on-one interviews with about 60 country artists uh, as part of this radio remote. So basically it was like, if you've ever seen Super Bowl Media Day, there's all these, I'm trying to set the scene for you, there are all these booths um, in this great hall. And this we were in the convention center in Nashville, right across the street from the arena where the CMA Awards were held this year. So we're in this, this big hall each, and and the hall is broken up into these little, like, booths that you would see, like, at a convention. If you went to, like, a comic convention or something like that, each, like, company has their own booth. So we, we all had our own booth with chairs and microphones and all this stuff to set up and do our interviews. And the artists would go down the line. They'd go into one booth. They'd do, you know, a five-minute interview, go to the next one, do a five-minute interview. It was a long day, two long days, about 30 artists both days. So as I said. About 60 artists, and you're talking about like a nine-hour day of interviews. So it went really fast. But what was great about it is I got to meet these artists and see them up close. And, and it's easy to you know take shots at these people from far away when we listen to their music, and I certainly think we have a right to do that. You don't need to know artists to talk about their work. Um, and I don't. I think that has always been true. You do not need to know these people, and sometimes it hurts you to know these people to look at their work objectively, because we're ultimately we're supposed to be looking at the work. We're not supposed to be looking at the man. You know, I mean, these they might be great people, but if they're not putting out great work, then it's you know hard to justify spending your money just because you like them. You know, obviously there are there are different situations, but I was impressed by nearly all of these artists from the biggest guys and girls in the business the biggest names the ones that are constantly in the, at the top of the billboard country charts to the folks that are just cracking in right now and you may have never heard of um but the the ones that really impressed me the most couple names for you uh chris jansen this was the kid that did the song that just started blowing up uh buy me a boat money can't buy happiness but it can buy me a boat it was a song that he told me uh, he was about to sell to Blake Shelton. Blake Shelton wanted it, and that's a huge name, obviously, to cut one of your songs. And he said it was a no-brainer, but his wife talked him into actually, no, this is your song. You should record this song. And he said, I'm so thankful I listened to my wife on this. I would have sold it if it weren't for her. So really cool. And this guy was living in his car when he wrote that song. Um, and, and, and the first thing he did with his money was buy himself and his mother uh, a, a new house. Um, so just just outstanding stuff. So uh, there were and there were tons of stories like this. Pretty much all the people that we interviewed, they were folks that had been playing on South Broadway right there in Nashville just a couple years earlier, making no money at all. The people that you'd see out on the street or in a bar late at night that you're not even paying attention to, that you're just talking with your buddies, drinking beer, being an asshole, and these people now are rising up and getting played on radio, and, and they will never forget where they came from, and that's what I really thought was refreshing about these people. But Chris Jansen really stuck out to me, a guy that I'll be listening to. Uh, Kanan Smith really thought he was uh, he was a great interview, great guy. Randy Hauser, who was up for CMA this year and had uh, and had a big hit and just has this huge voice, this big like Ronnie Dunn of Brooks and Dunn type voice. Charles Kelly of Lady Antebellum, who uh, th- that group is they're not broken up; they're on kind of like a hiatus right now. He's doing a solo. Uh, deal. He was just a really nice guy and a really successful guy. And uh, Karen Fairchild and Jimmy Westbrook of Little Big Town, who absolutely huge names now, especially Karen really blew up with Girl Crush because she does the lead vocal on that one. Um, and, and she's becoming like a household name, but both just so nice, just down to earth people and really uh, people that are focused on what they're doing. And they were not distracted uh, by a whole lot of other things going on. So 
Um, like I said, I'm just impressed by these people. And, and country music, I think, gets written off sometimes as, well, these people are uh, they're they're singing about simple things. Every song's got a mention of you know cold beer in it, and every song's talking about a truck, and every song's talking about partying on Friday night and all this kind of crap. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, when you when you understand when you talk to these people and you you hear interviews with them, you don't even have to meet them; just you hear interviews with them. You get that these people are thoughtful, and they know the audience that they're writing for, and they know the style of music that they are writing. And I think the fact that they don't take themselves too seriously is what makes them so approachable, likable, and uh, keeps them kind of grounded um, and, and keeps them connected with the common people that they're really these they're writing these songs for. I mean, these are this is not highbrow music, and it never has been, and it really never should be. That's not the goal of country music. You're talking to the everyman. And and these the best artists. That's that's what they do. Uh, also, I, I it's amazing when you meet artists that you were not fan, a fan of. Like I, I was never a fan of the work of Rascal Flatts. Never have been in my life. Never really liked. I mean, I I, I love I respect their voices. I think they're great singers. But I never was a fan of their stuff. Like I never bought one of their albums. Never really when their singles would come on the radio, I usually would skip past them if I'd already heard them before. Just wasn't my kind of country music. A little too poppy for my taste. But those three guys, they came into our booth. We did an interview with them, and they were three of the funniest bastards I've ever met in my life. Just so natural, so fun, so easy. And these guys have been around for a long time. They've been everywhere. They've talked to everyone. They're they're huge, huge names. Uh, and and they were just they were so funny and so natural like i said so it's funny like you you don't like some like i never liked their art but now i've met them i think they're hilarious guys next time i see them on tv doing an interview or i hear the, uh, you know their next single i'm definitely going to listen i think it goes a long way it is funny when you get to know them um, and it's harder to separate the art from the artist when you have met these people. I'm not like I, I didn't hang out with Rascal Flatts like I know them. But in the like 10 minutes that I spent talking to them and listening to them talk, just they, they killed me, man. They were so funny. And I just I didn't expect it. I, I thought I kind of wrote them off when I saw their name on the list because I've never liked them very much. But funny guys, great guys. And they understand, I think, their role in country music. And they understand some of the criticism um, about their music. I was also really impressed with the maturity of some of these artists, especially the young ones, uh, Maddie and Tay. I know Andy talked about them uh, before, and he had uh, their their great breakout song from last year, Girl in a Country Song, on his top, uh, I believe it was in his top five songs of the year last year. If not, it was his top ten up at OverdueReview.com. But met them, and they were just very poised, very mature, um, uh, maybe a little bit bold. Also, uh, Kelsey Ballerini, very, very mature young girl, 22 years old, been writing songs since she was uh, a teenager, a young, young teenager. Um, and it just comes through. Uh, and Chris Stapleton, obviously, who I'm going to talk about a little bit more in just a minute. But j- just some great quotes from these people and just some great attitudes out there. I, and, and what I was really impressed by is how these artists constantly were deflecting their success onto other artists, like competing artists. This is something that I feel like I don't hear a lot of musicians do because let's face it, music, film, television, these are very competitive uh, fiction writing. These are very competitive businesses, right? I mean, it's all about getting yourself elevated and it's all about don't mention the other guy. That's like 101. Don't talk about the other guy that you're competing with because you don't want to give him headlines. You want the headlines. But these country artists were constantly just deflecting success onto other artists. 
the biggest of the big, uh, Luke Bryan, he was one of the ones that came in for an interview. Andy has talked a ton about Luke Bryan in his segments on this show over the months we've been doing it. And I have never been a fan of his music either until his, his latest song, Strip It Down, which I think is the best work he's ever done. Strip it down, not to you and me, like it used to be, when it was an old back road with an old school beat, cowboy boots by your little bear. But I, I was never, he was never a guy like, I took seriously at all. He's, he's so easy to write off, I feel like, as an artist. But in meeting him and in, I think, realizing that he understands where, what his role is and what he's good at, he knows his strengths, it's almost impossible for me to not like this guy now after meeting him and getting to hear him speak a little bit. He came backstage at the CMAs. He wins the biggest award of the night, Entertainer of the Year. All right, wins it for the second year in a row. Comes backstage, the first thing out of his mouth, um, he was talking about how great a night this was because of all the awards that Chris Stapleton won, and he won three of them that night. That's the first thing out of his mouth. Um, It's not anything about how thankful he is to win this award. It's, It's how great a night is this when you can see a guy like Chris Stapleton go out there and win three awards. Now, I've never been backstage at other award shows, but I've heard plenty of people give acceptance speeches. And at the Grammys, you know, if 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 Kanye West or even Taylor Swift or whoever wins Album of the Year, Artist of the Year, I don't think the first thing they do is go out there and talk about whoever it was that won New Artist of the Year. And, oh, this is so great. I can't believe so-and-so won. Or at the Oscars, oh, my God, how great is it that Meryl Streep won Best Actress again? I mean, pretty much they're talking about themselves. They're talking about their own project. They're talking about th- their producers and and. You know, understandably so. That's what you do. It, it is about you. But I just was so impressed with the deflection. Brian's talking about Chris Stapleton. Of course, he should talk about him because Chris Stapleton wrote one of his best songs of his career, Drink a Beer. That was one of Luke Bryan's recent uh, recent tunes, and it was a good song, and Chris Stapleton wrote that song. So he does owe him some success. But still, to lead off with that, just I thought it was classy. Little Big Town, again, they won three awards at the CMAs this year. Or they didn't win three. They won two, but their song... Uh, Girl Crush won another one. The songwriters did. So essentially, they won three awards. They were huge winners. They come backstage. First thing they talked about was Casey Musgraves, an artist that did not write songs for them. But they talked about how radio, country radio, there's a changing tide and that artists like Casey Musgraves, Chris Stapleton should start to get played more often. Um, And I just I was really just impressed by that because there was a lot of that going on, a lot of deflection. It, It was like these these people truly were a family of artists, even if they were on competing labels, they were a family of artists. The Most of the people that I heard, they just, you could tell they were fans of the other people in town making this same kind of music. And I think that is awesome because you don't hear that a lot um, in, in, in rap or in pop or in rock music. It's just, it's a different, I think, mindset. And it's just not, I don't think it's, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it's as cutthroat in country music. They're more willing to give kudos to other artists than maybe other musicians of other genres are but here's the thing so i'm at cma awards week in nashville somewhere at the end of the week when i've been there for a few days and and i start to really think about what i'm seeing and all these people i'm standing on a red carpet all right before the cma awards on wednesday night i'm standing on a red carpet touching elbows like basically rubbing elbows literally with the reigning miss america all right, Miss America. She's wearing the tiara. She's got the damn gown on. Her hair is immaculate, even though it's 150 degrees in here. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm rubbing elbows with Miss America. Or I'm sitting at the CMA after party, drinking free beer. All right, I'm drinking a free Yingling. 
and I'm making small talk, like the smallest of small talk, with the girl that was just recently the Bachelorette. She was on the Bachelorette. She's there with her husband. That the the husband that was on the show with her, and they've been married. I don't know how long, just a couple weeks or whatever. But that was who it was. Like I didn't, I knew that I recognized this girl from somewhere, but I had to look it up. I had to look up red carpet photos and figure out who it was that I was talking to. I'm like, I know she was famous, but I can't remember who it was. And it turned out it was the Bachelorette girl. And I'm sitting there at this time thinking how much it felt feels like I'm in an alternate dimension because I live in. Cincinnati, Ohio. I've grown up in this area my entire life, never been around, never been at this kind of thing, even though I watch it on TV all the time. I talk about these kind of things on this show. But just to be there, so strange. And the strangest thing to me about these interview days was the endless parade of basically the best looking people that you've ever seen in your life coming in and out of these booths. Like, it was like one after another. You'd see somebody and you'd be like, oh, my God, like this person. You, you get what people are talking about when they're talking about people in Hollywood and they just look different. And it's just, you, you, it's, it's like you can't, you're trying not to stare at them, but they're just, they're gorgeous, men and women. I mean, they're just the best looking people you've ever seen. Just these gorgeous, rich people, basically who are doing exactly what they've wanted to be doing their entire life. And there's something so strange about that because I've never been around those people before. I mean, I work a nine to five in in journalism. It's it's far from a glamorous business, even though TV and movies make it look like it's glamorous. But I you know I work around very blue collar people who make you know barely any money, never have time off, are stressed out all the time. And even though they're in the field that they want to be in, they're not like living the dream or anything like that. So just to be around these people who literally are living the dream was so strange. I, I mean, I'm looking, I'm backstage at the CMA Awards. Luke Bryan comes off, he starts talking about his wife and his kids, how much he loves his wife and his kids, how much he, how, how much he misses his, son's, his son when he's on the road, but that he's able to coach his son's baseball team whenever he gets a chance to. And he's just, he's got this elation on his face. Like, he means everything he's saying. He's talking about the work he's got planned for 2016. And the work is, I got a massive stadium tour. I'm going out with Little Big Town. And I've got, you know, this song that we've been working on. This is the work that he's got coming up in the next year. The guy's already got multi-millions at home. And he knows everything that he's doing at this point. It's all successful. It's all working. It's all clicking for him. These are a bunch of people who are living their dreams. And nearly every single one of them had worked their asses off writing songs for other artists, being invisible for years before this happened. And the fact that they did not forget that was what I was so impressed with. Even guys like Luke Bryan who aren't songwriters, Kenny Chesney, Garth Brooks, guys who aren't considered songwriters were still busting their ass trying to get their image out there, make their name, playing at bars, playing other people's songs, playing covers, and until, you know, finally, someday, uh, you know, uh, an A&R person came into the right bar, found them, and uh, they had the look, and they had everything going on, and it just worked out. And, and, and it's just incredible to be around people who are, like, that doing that well. And I feel like when you work a 9-to-5 in a business like I do in journalism that is shrinking and low-paying, when you see people that are successful, good-looking, smiling, making tons of money, that kind of thing can do one of two things to you. It can either fill you with optimism or it can sink you like a stone and just make you so jaded and make you just hate everybody. And luckily for me, it was the former effect. It, it gave me optimism and it made me feel better about my own pursuits and that 
that this stuff does not happen overnight, that you don't really achieve that kind of happiness overnight. It didn't happen for any of these people that way. There were times when they were looking in the mirror wondering, um, wondering if they were going to be successful, wondering if they were ever going to be up on that stage. And, and it's just really cool to see a lot of grounded people that remember where they came from. And that's what I got from most of these artists uh, that I talked to. I say most of because a couple of them still seemed like assholes, like Brad Paisley kind of seemed like a dickhead. I, I was kind of I was upset about that because he just he's got the image of like the, the ultimate every man. But he just kind of seemed like an asshole, um, just not very approachable at all. But, you know, most of them, for the most part, they were almost all just great, really nice people, really cool people that you literally could see going out and having a beer with. But, you know, I guess the last thing I'll say about being out there and seeing all, you know, all these, as I said, these rich, successful, great looking people, you want someone somewhere like when I when I was first there, when I met a guy like Sam Hunt, if you don't know who Sam Hunt is, he's had a huge year blown up with uh, with a few hits that were, you know, really all pretty unique sounding for country radio. Now I know it starts with hello. Next thing you know, you try to be nice and some guys getting too close trying to pick you up. Trying to get you to run. But he's a former college football player, just a big, just a good-looking guy. Girls, literally, I heard them swooning when he was walking around during interview days. I mean, literally swooning. Uh, you want someone who looks like that and sings like that to be an asshole, right? Because it just seems like that's the way it should be. This guy should be an asshole. But when I asked him, I went up to Sam Hunt, I asked him for an autograph for my sister, he, he was one of the people that she was like, could, if you get me an autograph and her birthday is coming up, and I'm just like, I, okay, I'll, I'll try to do it. It's unprofessional, but I'll try it. I go up to him with the autograph book, asking for an autograph for my sister. He takes the book, shakes my hand, asks me her name and my name before signing the book to Samantha from Sam Hunt, you know, little signature there, and then says, uh, you know, take it easy, Clint. Thanks, uh, and, and, and I appreciate the work and, and whatever. For me being there, you know, basically with radio because obviously we get the – the word out. So I was just, like I said, really impressed. Um, and it really gave me good perspective or could be bad perspective from a critic's standpoint. Luckily, Andy's the music guy, so I'm not going to be reviewing country albums. But just saying, I was I was impressed by these people. I really felt like they, they knew where they came from and they're not going to forget it anytime soon. And as far as the actual award show goes, I'll leave most of this talk to Andy, but I did feel like, I never feel like this with award shows, but I felt like at the end of the night, Every one of the CMA awards for 2015 went to the right person or at least someone that deserved the win. Like sometimes at an award show, an award will go out, especially at the Oscars or something, and you're going, what the hell? Why in the hell did this person win? There's no way I can justify it uh, against these other people. With this show, I felt like you could justify every single person that won their own award. But the show was all about Chris Stapleton. This guy had a breakout performance with Justin Timberlake. Um, he, he got to show off this voice that people in Nashville have been talking about for a decade as the best voice in country music. He finally got people to realize who he was on a big stage. Um, and it was a career-changing, life-changing night for this guy. And to be there, I felt so lucky. Uh, but talk about a guy that had been around forever. And on Chris Stapleton, if you had just heard about him at the CMAs, I guarantee you knew some of his songs already if you listen to country at all in the last 10 years. This guy had a cut on a Patty Loveless record 12 years ago that he wrote. How about some of these songs, though, from the last decade that you probably didn't know Chris Stapleton actually wrote or co-wrote? How about this one? Baby, lock the door and turn the lights down low. 
Put some music on that soft and slow. That was Your Man by Josh Turner. Big one. One of the biggest, uh, first big hit cuts that Chris Stapleton had on a record. Also this one, one of my favorite Kenny Chesney tunes. Just a fool trying to play it cool, hoping she'd let me cross the line. And I was praying that she couldn't tell I'd never been that far before. The first time's a one-time feeling and I never wanted nothing more. No, I never wanted nothing more. That was written by Chris Stapleton. And to me, maybe the catchiest song that you're hearing on country radio right now. Um, this one was also written by uh, Chris Stapleton. So obviously this guy, it's a great career. He's not an overnight success. The fact that he won New Artist of the Year is maybe the most laughable award title um, out there because he is far from a new artist. Dude's a uh, total vet. Uh, but but really, it was so cool because everyone in the, the jaded, you know, just shitty attitude media room was so happy for him. And the other artists were happy for him. It was like he was the homecoming king. Here was the big, long-haired, bearded, you know, guy going out there and winning all the awards, and everyone was happy for him. He was the homecoming king for the night, and it was it was something that was 12 years in the making. This guy is not an overnight success, and I was just honored that I got to be there. So uh, it, it's really cool. Have you ever had a situation like that, though, where maybe you met an artist, you met an actor, or you met a musician, something like that? They signed an autograph for you that maybe you didn't like them. Maybe you were just, you happened to be there, and for whatever reason you met him or you saw an interview with him, and you suddenly became kind of a little bit of a fan at least because you realized that, man, I, I like this guy. Even if his music sucks, but man, he's kind of a cool guy and I want to like him. So I wonder if you've had any situations like that. This was a huge one uh, for me being at CMA Week. All right, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to toss things over to Andy, let him chat a little bit about music uh, as well. It's, it's been a kind of a music-centric show, but... Later on, after uh, after Sedlak wraps up, I'm going to come back, talk about a couple movies that are in theaters right now, Skyfall, and uh, or I'm sorry, not Skyfall, but Spectre, and Steve Jobs, and um, also a couple other films that I saw recently with mixed results. I'll, I'll get to those in a bit. Take it away, Andy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So Clint was at the CMAs. How cool is that? Overdue and the stream police had a presence at pretty much the entertainment event last week. And I agree with Clint. You know, most of the awards 
seem to go to the most deserving artists, most deserving uh, songs. There's always been a lot of hillbilly humor in that show, but I did seem to think that there was more of an emphasis on actual content this year, less of an emphasis on pyro, more of an emphasis on kick-ass songs. It was a good year for Clint to attend. Yet, Chris Stapleton's performance with Justin Timberlake was uh, was pretty much the stuff of instant legend. From what I've read, that pairing wasn't dreamed up during a pitch session. Stapleton asked Timberlake to join him should he be asked to perform. So before the artist was even asked to participate, that performance had privately been arranged. Does this make Chris Stapleton a a star? Quote-unquote star. Will it turn him into a radio darling? Or did it just add a fresh coat of paint to the stellar career he's been uh, developing for years? It's funny because you you cannot paint this guy as an outsider. I know he looks like one, may sound like one, kind of writes like one, but you cannot paint him as an outsider. You could make a case that he's as mainstream as he gets. He's written for Luke Bryan. Drink a beer. He wrote this for Darius Rucker. This is my, my bad comeback song. I know, I, I, I couldn't believe that either. He's a hard dude to figure out. He's a hard dude to, to pin a label on because you could probably just as easily make a case that uh, he's just a crazy successful fringe artist. Songs like Might As Well Get Stoned and Outlaw State of Mind align him more with stoner country than bro country. You want my prediction? Here it is. My prediction is that every, every few years, he releases something and it gets good play. But for the most part, he's a road warrior and a respected statesman from here on out. He's the guy who will play at all the respected events from now on. He'll do the telethons for sure, like the primetime stuff, once something big. I mean, Stapleton will be there. He'll be invited to the White House before Obama leaves, I can assure you. But I don't see him dominating radio, and I don't see him as a regular at the CMAs like every year. He'll never do the entertainment entertainer, excuse me, of the year thing. He'll certainly never do it like Luke Bryan, who's now won, what, four years in a row, whatever it is. And part of that is because I don't think he's interested in that, which does make Chris Stapleton uh, 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 relatable, I think, to musicians into writers. Do you know Adele covered one of his tunes? It was this one here. Never would have hitchhiked to Birmingham if it hadn't been for love. Never would have called the train to Louisiana if it hadn't been for love. He actually did that uh, with the steel drivers. Here is Adele's version. Never would have hitchhiked to Birmingham if it 
have caught the train to Louisiana if it hadn't been for love. Never would have run through the blinding rain with that one dollar to my name if it hadn't been, if it hadn't been for love. Sticking along CMA lines here, I really thought a lot of Eric Church's new song. Uh, it's called Mr. Misunderstood. I reviewed Church's chief record for OverdueReview.com, and it's one of only, I think, three, as I'm thinking back, three that I've given uh, perfect scores to. Uh, here's the new one. All your buddies get their rocks off on top for the radio, but you love your daddy's vinyl, old-time rock and roll. It was Castell, Ray Wiley, Hubbard, and thank Jeff Tweedy. One bad mother, Mr. Misunderstood. Mr. Misunderstood. It ends like this. He repeats, I understand over and over. It's a powerful message. There's some worldliness built into that song, and a little worldliness can go a long way to the kids that church is trying to reach in that tune. By and large, you know, small towns tend to be conservative places. This song says you're not alone. Church becomes the latest in a surprisingly growing number of artists to release a surprise record. He did it last week. It is called Mr. Misunderstood. That was the title track. Uh, It follows in the footsteps of Beyonce, Drake, U2. And I'll tell you, you've got to be big, B-I-G, big, to drop a surprise album because you're counting on everybody to get excited about it because they're caught off guard. But if you're Hunter Hayes, you couldn't do that. If you're Walk the Moon, you couldn't do that. There aren't many in pop or country or rock that can do it. Eric is probably one of the few. It's been lucrative for the ones who can. Beyonce's surprise album went to number one. Drake's surprise album earlier in the year went to number one. I'll bet my left nut, Church's record goes to number one. 2014's Outsiders was uh, the most successful country album of the year last year. He's on to something. You know, I work at a radio station. I met Eric Church on the Outsiders Tour. The wife and I uh, got meet and greet passes. So we shook his hand, and and we got a picture with him before the show. This was down in Cincinnati. His people uh, kept us moving along, but but he was very gracious. Um, not bored, not anxious. Didn't seem like a, quote-unquote, star. He seemed very happy to be meeting with the meet and greeters. Actually, he sort of looked like he wanted more time with them. That that was sort of the the impression that that I got, which is which was a neat thing. Uh, we did have to wash up with hand sanitizer before we were allowed to shake his hand. Uh, some people may not be put off by that. I thought it was a little much, but nevertheless, I'm a I'm a really big fan. And I really love a song from his first record uh, called Sinners Like Me. I was 15 when my daddy's old man called me halfway through my first beer. He laughed so hard when my face turned green. He said, you come from a long line of sinners like me.
That is the title track again. I mean, he's he's onto something with with title tracks on his records. I have not listened to the new one yet. Uh, the wife and I moved into uh, a new house recently, so our Wi-Fi isn't uh, set up. I haven't been able to download anything. Um, I feel like I'm boxing with one arm behind my back without Wi-Fi, by the way. And I'm not like a total techie. Like I'm not like an avid believer in the uh, marriage between technology and music. But this got me thinking. Let's say a comet hit the Earth. And everything was fine, except that it took out our computers and our Wi-Fi. No 3G, 4G, nothing, no streaming. Uh, and because you've been so used to streaming your music, you, uh, you've you lost your iPod. So this comet essentially takes out all the ways that you've been listening to music since like 2006. If that happened, what would you fall back on? Any old CDs laying around you'd turn to? Are you a vinyl nerd? I'm not judging. Uh, I kind of am too, a little bit. Uh, which 33 and a third would you turn to if you had no access to digital music? Is there anything you would not be embarrassed of? Any of those old CDs laying around that you would claim? If I suddenly lost all these things, I, I'd be relying on a stack of CDs in my car. I checked. Here's my stash. The Marshall Mathers LP 1 and 2. Pet Sounds, Jackson Brown's Holdout Record, Lou Graham's Long Hard Look, Don't Laugh, There Are Some Gems on That Record, and a record from Joe Jackson called Volume 4. I think I'd recommend all those releases to you, minus the Joe Jackson album, maybe. Uh, Doesn't doesn't really have much of an identity. Uh, But... That's the music I'd have at arm's reach should the technological apocalypse arrive tomorrow. What would you have? Let me know. And let me know what you'd be embarrassed of and what you wouldn't. Those old CDs laying around. Shoot me an email. Sedlakjournal at gmail.com. S-E-D-L-A-K, the word journal, all squished together at gmail.com. Speaking of the apocalypse, though. Here are five songs about the apocalypse that you can add to your sort of evolving stream police playlist. Uh, we've, we are building the greatest playlist ever, folks. And these cuts, uh, I feel, will add a much-needed post-apocalyptic flair to our collection, which is, of course, a very necessary ingredient. First, Apocalypso by Jimmy Buffett. They say this universe is bound to blow. But I say we crank up the Calypso control. Apocalypse, Then Miami 2017, Seen the Lights Go Out on Broadway. That's by Billy Joel. Seen the lights go out on Broadway. I saw the Empire State lay low. You know, I gotta mention R.E.M. here. It's the end of the world as we know it. Ghost Riders in the Sky. I'm going with the version by Johnny Cash. Their brands were still on fire and their hooves were made of steel. Their horns were black and shiny and their hot breath he could feel. A bolt of fear went through him as they thundered through the sky. For he saw the riders coming hard and he heard their mournful cry. 
If you want to cringe, know that Peter, Paul, and Mary recorded a parody version of that song called Yuppies in the Sky in 1990. But finally, our last selection, London Calling by The Clash. That's it, friends. Once again, I'll leave you with the words of the great Kinky Friedman. A genius is somebody who's ahead of their time and behind on their rent. See ya. Thank you very much, Andy. Appreciate it, as uh, as always. And go ahead and check those five tracks to get you through the week out. We, we need to make a, a Spotify playlist. I think I'm going to get on that. Of uh, All the songs that he has picked out and just keep adding to it over time, as long as they're available on there, and share them up on the website because it's it's really – he mentioned this last time, but it, it is like a total mixed bag, and Andy's one of these guys who listens to every genre – I mean, as he's been doing with EDM lately, uh, I mean, that's a that's a genre that when I met him, I never would have thought this guy would listen to EDM music. Um, but he, he gives everything a shot, and I really uh, I respect that about him, and that's why we've got him as our music editor over at OverdueReview.com. Um, so uh, welcome back. I'll go ahead and get into films because uh, we've talked pretty much exclusively about music in this show uh, so far, but... Let's go ahead and get to movies. A couple films that are in theaters right now as I'm recording this that I saw, and and by the time you're listening to this, may already be streaming or may already be considered classics. Who knows? Uh, First off, we're going to go with James Bond's most recent outing, Spectre, which was directed by the great Sam Mendes, who did American Beauty back in the day, who did uh, Revolutionary Road, which, god damn, that was an unnerving, intense, one of the most intense films I've ever seen. And he's done the last couple Bond movies, including the masterpiece Skyfall. Uh, But Spectre is the latest Bond film. And I'm a huge, I am a big-time James Bond fan, diehard James Bond fan. I own every single one of the movies. I've seen every one of every single one of the movies multiple times so i'm i consider myself a bond expert and you may have heard some reviews of specter that have said this is the worst bond movie ever it's one of the worst of all time it's the worst that daniel craig's done none of that is true it's not the worst movie it's not the worst bond movie that daniel craig's done and it's certainly not the worst bond movie ever um it's not as quantum of solace to me is the worst one that daniel craig did this is above that but this is not Casino Royale, and this is not Skyfall. Spectre was just one of those movies that was, I would call, mediocre, and it was underwhelming. And it was certainly anticlimactic, especially for being the last ride of Daniel Craig, the guy who took James Bond to new levels of emotional depth um, and, and really ushered in like this whole new era with the character 
and has been a great fit with the character for as much crap as he took when he was first cast. Remember all the headlines, James Blonde and all that? People were making fun of him. He's proven to be a great James Bond and, and certainly up there with Connery uh, as one of the best. But this was an anticlimactic way for him to go out, and I wish he'd do another movie so we could kind of you know get it back up to that Skyfall level that he could walk out kind of on top. Um, but let's not forget about the really shitty James Bond movies, Die Another Day, the, the Timothy Dalton movies. But anyways, let's talk about Spectre. To me, my biggest problem with this film was there were a lot of missed opportunities for real character development on behalf of characters like Moneypenny, Q, and uh, Leah Sedu's character, Dr. Swan, who was the, the, you know, the, the big Bond girl in this film. She's, she's a great actress. She's this great, beautiful French actress, just like Eva Green was this great, beautiful French actress who played a Bond girl in Casino Royale, Vesper Lind. She was the greatest Bond girl of all time, in my opinion. I don't know who's going to beat her, but best Bond girl ever. So when they announced the casting of Leah Seydoux as a Bond girl in this film, I was so excited. But then when I saw the film, I was so disappointed that she had so few chances to actually act and do anything really meaningful and for this character to be really memorable because she just she wasn't that memorable at the end of the day. Tons of missed opportunities. I'm not going to go into specifics because they will be spoilers. Um, but, you know, Money Penny, I was disappointed that they didn't do much else with her. After in Skyfall, they set her up to be this big badass and she was going to be more important to the storyline than Lois Maxwell's Money Penny had been all those years where she was just basically an object and someone who just pined after James all the time and he strung her along and, and, and never actually consummated the thing with her. Um, but this Money Penny was kind of supposed to be more her own. She stood on her own two feet and she was a badass. But she didn't have any chances to do that in this film. And as far as Q goes, love the actor that's playing him. I love Ben Wishaw. I talked about him before in the BBC miniseries The Hour. He does great work there. But Q just kind of devolved into this, like, nerd stereotype in this film. And I thought that was disappointing because I just feel like they, the Bond franchise had really been making itself more and more serious and more and more character-driven than it had ever been because it never was character-driven. In all the 20 films that had been done before Daniel Craig, never was character-driven. Now it finally was, but this one felt like it wasn't. This felt like a run-of-the-mill Bond film that didn't really have a lot of consequence on anything else outside of a couple of character revelations that were still pretty tiny in the grand scheme of things. So that was what really disappointed me. You know, Also, they tried to do a serious romance storyline in this one that budded in this film, and I just felt like it was, it was hard to buy it because it was rushed. It was too fast. Um, and the conclusive, quote-unquote, aspects of Daniel Craig being James Bond felt very rushed. Like, his ending as Bond, if this truly is it, felt very rushed to me. And I was disappointed by that. The The action sequences, though, were well done. There was a car chase um, that was, you know, pretty intense, although it did have one of my biggest pet peeves that you can have in an action film, which is a car chase on a goddamn empty street. I hate that. If you're going to have a damn car chase, watch The French Connection, all right? Put it on. Watch the Born Identity. Put it on a street where people are actually driving, because I've never, I've never been driving around other than on a country road at two o'clock in the morning, and there's no other cars. Even there, though, there are more cars than there were right in the heart of Midtown Rome, Italy, in like early midnight, with this car chase going on. No other cars on the road makes absolutely no sense to me. But that's what happened in this film. And there were just, you know, some head-scratching moments in some of the action scenes. But, my God, two of the best helicopter scenes involving helicopters that I've ever seen in films, especially the opening. The opening 
pre-credits sequence of Spectre is one of the best ever in a Bond film, and those are always good, but this one ranks up there with some of the best. Unfortunately, it was kind of all downhill uh, from there. And Sam Smith's Bond song that he, he did with Disclosure, the, maybe the worst Bond song ever. It's, it's, it's just boring. No, there's no chorus. has nothing to do with the movie. It, it was just a complete disappointment. But the movie itself, like I said, hardly the worst Bond movie ever. Still better than a lot of the 80s ones, still better than a lot of the Pierce Brosnan ones, but just it was a, it was a letdown after what we had seen in Skyfall, which felt like Skyfall was among probably the three best Bond movies ever made. I put it up there with From Russia with Love and uh, and Goldfinger and, and On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I put it up there with the absolute creme de la creme of the James Bond films. Um, but there were just not a lot of outstanding moments in this one, not a lot of gasp-worthy moments in this one, which was what Skyfall had in spades. So, Spectre, if you're a huge Bond fan, you love action, go check it out. But, I mean, I hate to say, I don't think there's a reason you need to rush out to theaters and, and, and watch it. I think you can wait till it comes out on Blu-ray and uh, and get the same effect then. But that opening sequence, man, that is that is breathtaking. It's very well done. And it's just, like I said, disappointing that it was downhill kind of from there. You must know by now that the double O program is officially dead, <laughs> which leads me to speculate exactly why you came. So, James, why did you come? I came here to kill you. And I thought you came here to die. Well, it's all a matter of perspective. Let me talk about a movie that did not let me down in any way. In fact, I was so, I loved this movie. I was so enamored with it, and it is in theaters now. Steve Jobs, directed by Danny Boyle, written by Aaron Sorkin, acted by Michael Fassbender, Kate Winslet, and some others. They act their asses off, and this movie is it, this movie is awesome. It's intense. It's uh, one of the most inventive biopics I've ever seen, the way that Sorkin decided to write the script. Um the the way that this Steve Jobs movie basically lays out is we're not we're not with Steve Jobs in his childhood. We're not seeing the things that shaped him into the man he is today. We hear about him sometimes, we see the effects, but we don't need to we don't need to have these scenes of him as a little kid. Uh getting, you know, abandoned by his parents and then getting adopted by another family. We don't need that. All right, we don't need to see him in college dropping out. We don't really need to see him in the garage too much. We see him in the garage in a couple flashbacks. But this movie mostly takes place in three sequences. It's a a three-act movie. There's one at uh, the announcement of the Macintosh computer. Um, You know, the big Apple media events that they do where they have fans in in a theater and Steve Jobs is out on stage and, and now Tim Cook does them. There are three of those in this film. That's what the movie is based around. It's all backstage as Steve Jobs has a conversation with four different people in these three different time periods as we jump through the years. And we see the subtle changes. Um, And we just see it's an acting clinic. This movie feels like a a play. feels like a Broadway stage drama um, is what Sorkin really has written here. And I feel like this could be adapted to stage so easily and could be so well done on stage. And I just, I was thrilled by it. I love movies that are like that. I love acting powerhouses. Steve Jobs will bore you if you're looking for anything really exciting happening. But if you get excited by acting, 
Check this movie out. I, I loved it. I thought it was outstanding. I thought Fassbender was as good as he's ever been in anything, and that is saying something because the guy's flawless in everything I've ever seen him in. Um, and, and some of the, the best work ever by Seth Rogen, maybe the best work of his career um, as well. I thought he was he was awesome as uh, Steve Wozniak and Kate Winslet was great with this subtle accent that um, did not sound overacted at all. And I just I, I loved the film. I, I loved everything about it. I thought Steve Jobs was a triumph and a very, very well done movie. I'm, I'm sad that it bombed as it did, but I think maybe they had to high hopes for it because the format of this film is so serious and is so uh, strictly based on acting. Um, but they had this ambitious act, uh, this ambitious marketing uh, promotional uh, campaign for it, and it, it didn't live up to it as far as the money goes. But I think Danny Boyle and Aaron Sorkin and everyone involved in this movie can be very proud in the work that they did. And it does not make Steve Jobs out to be an angel, nor does, does it make him out to be a complete asshole. But the movie is is really just – I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this film. Loved it. Can't, couldn't recommend Steve Jobs more. Get out there and see it. Um, and certainly when it comes to streaming, uh, check it out, man. Check it out on DVD. And if you love acting, you got to go out and watch this movie right now. I think you'll love it. Can't say enough good about that. we got 45 seconds. I want to use it to ask you a question. Why do people who were adopted feel like they were rejected instead of selected? I don't feel rejected. You're sure? Very sure. Because it's not like the baby is born and the parents look and say, nah, we're not interested in this one. On the other hand, someone did choose you. It's having no control. You find out you're out of the loop when the most crucial events in your life were set in motion. As long as you have control. I don't understand people who give it up. Let me talk on the other hand about another movie that I watched recently that I did not enjoy. That I had heard good things about but did not enjoy. This was The Gift. This one is out on DVD and Blu-ray now. Directed by and starring Joel Edgerton. Yes, the actor Joel Edgerton, who I've enjoyed in a lot of things. And he actually was very good in this movie. But I just did not like the film. I just thought it had too many moments that made absolutely no sense. Too many storyline things that were just... they. They didn't need to be there. Um, and, and just head-scratching, just stuff that had nothing to do with anything other than just to be there and to fill time. The Gift is about a guy who is they, – they in high school, they called him Gordo the Weirdo. Yes, that's his name. It's it's awful. And they say it numerous times in the film. Uh, but there's this, this upper-middle class – I guess they're upper-class couple played by Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall. And this is a thriller. Um, kind of in the vein of like a fatal attraction or the hand that rocks the cradle. You get this couple who suddenly starts getting visited when they move back to uh, Bateman's hometown by a guy he went to high school with, and something bad happened when they were in high school together, and we don't know what it was until later in the film, but the guy is just kind of creepy, and he's 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 involving himself in their himself in their lives, whether they want him to or not, and it just is just one of those thrillers that kind of wants to unnerve you the whole time you're watching it, but it didn't really unnerve me at all, and I think that's what I didn't like about this film. I, I didn't find it creepy. Um, as it was supposed to be. And I just felt like at the end of the day, like I said, a lot of the character motivations, the things they were doing just didn't really make sense. And I didn't really care very much. So I didn't like the gift. But like I said, Joel Edgerton's very good as the creepy guy character. I think he was I think he was outstanding. He was he, he acted he acted it really well. Uh, and he just had this beady eyes and just this great look. Um, 
but I just I wasn't shocked by the film as I think it was trying to, it was trying to shock me. And Hand That Rocks the Cradle did shock me, and Fatal Attraction definitely did shock me. This one, though, did not have those shocking moments. Um, the only thing that I will say about it is that it kept you guessing a little bit as far as what's the mystery. What is What am I going to find out actually happened here? What's What's behind this? What's the heart of darkness um, in this film? And I just I didn't love it. But if you like thrillers, you might want to seek out The Gift uh, right now uh, on, on streaming or download it or check it out on Blu-ray and DVD. But I wouldn't give it a I wouldn't give it a strong recommendation. I just did not I didn't enjoy it. I just didn't think it was a very smart movie at the end of the day. And finally, uh one more classic film to get to. When I was in Nashville, I got the the chance to go, I don't know if you do this ever, go see old films in theaters when they bring them back out for anniversaries. They do it a lot now. It's it's a big thing at big theaters, but if you go if you have like a small independent theater near your wherever you live, wherever you listen to this show, go there. Frequent that place because those places are kind of dying out. And they show a lot of great films, like at midnight, they'll show Rocky Horror Picture Show on Saturday nights, Halloween, they'll show The Shining, and they'll show, you know, classic horror films or whatever. They'll show movies on anniversaries. But when I was in Nashville, I went to this theater, uh, this this nonprofit movie theater called the Belcourt Theater, which is kind of near Vanderbilt University, and uh, is a small little two-screen movie house. Um, but, you know, beautiful on the inside, had been around forever. They're trying to renovate it, trying to raise money, uh, having a little bit of success trying to do that. But they happened to be shown when I was in town, 75th anniversary of Fantasia. They were they were screening Fantasia at the theater. And I, I've always liked Fantasia when I was a kid. I liked this movie a lot. I just loved the visuals. And uh, it used to put me to sleep. I know that's not a very glowing recommendation of a movie, but I, I loved it. Whenever I wanted to go to sleep, I put Fantasia on and it would just put me out. But I loved the movie. Um they were showing it, though, at the theater. I'd never seen it on a big screen, always wanted to, and just with the sound jacked up. And it was really cool. So if you ever get a chance to go out and see movies, uh, old movies on a big screen, you know, go out and do it. I did the same thing with Gone with the Wind last year, and, and I fell back in love with that movie on on screen in a theater again. The problem with Fantasia was there were some little kids sitting behind me talking the whole damn time, wondering where Mickey Mouse is and all this shit. And I'm just like, don't bring your kids to go see Fantasia. It is not a kid's movie. This movie is like frightening, loud, bombastic, pretentious. It's not a film for kids. It has no storyline. It has no, It's three hours of classical music and short little vignettes of like the dinosaurs running around and Satan on a mountaintop and, uh, and, and Mickey Mouse casting a spell on broomsticks and uh, and ultimately nearly dying from from his his stupidity. I mean this this was not for kids. And that was the the criticism of that movie when it came out and it still stands, you know, like almost 100 years later the criticism still stand of that as far as it's not a kids movie. Don't bring your damn kids to go see Fantasia at an art theater with people that are serious want to sit there in the dark listen to this movie. That was my only complaint. Um, about this film but uh, I, I got to see it on screen it was awesome um, it, it just blew me away how loud the thing was he just cranked it up and the kid was getting scared the whole time and so that was kind of funny but yeah uh, just if you get a chance to go see old movies that you love in a theater I know it sounds stupid because you have Netflix right you pay $9 a month for it Oh, well, Fantasia streaming on Netflix or something. Why would I go to a movie theater, pay $9 just to watch it? Because you love it. Because you love the film. Because you want to support independent art. Whatever. Go out there and do it. Uh, it's the way that movies were meant to be seen. Um, I couldn't recommend it more. Just one of your favorites. It might sound stupid, but go check it out in a movie theater. Um, and, and, and shut up with whoever you're with and watch it. And it's just it, it, it gives you a whole new dimension 
on movies that you've never seen. So uh, once again, I, I I had a good time going and seeing Fantasia in theaters, but God, don't take your kids, man, to the art theater. Just don't do it. <laughs> I don't sound like a dickhead, but don't do it. All right. Anyways, let's uh, let's let's call it a day here, friends. Uh, busy show, and we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode of the Stream Police Podcast. So you don't waste your time out there with uh, all, all the garbage that can be streaming right now for you for your subscription dollars uh, I want to thank Andy Sedlak our music editor at OverdueReview.com for his two cents and uh, I am Clint Davis the movies and TV editor appreciate you guys very much listening in uh, go tell your friends about the show review us at the iTunes store give us a five star please and check out the website while you're at it uh, but I'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks be safe out there The Stream Police Podcast is a production of OverdueReview.com. Since 2013, the staff at Overdue Review have written thoughtful and pretentious opinions on hundreds of movies, TV shows, and music from every era. Overdue Review, better late. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.